friend, um, Steve L. from Costa Mesa. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Steve. Thank you. Thank you. It's like this buds for you. It's it's a water. Uh, You don't know what you've started. I had no idea David was going to be here, and we're like nitroglycerin when it comes to having fun. So (laughs) I'm glad you're ready to laugh. Um, You know, I thank Anthony for asking me to come up and do this. Uh, I don't. uh, People lure me out of my cloak of anonymity every now and then, and I kind of remain local in my little neighborhood down in the South Orange County area and, and uh, enjoy the people I work and program with and people in my meetings and whatnot and uh, and every now and then I venture out so it's nice to nice to be here and uh, I've, I've only pulled off the freeway in Santa Clarita twice so it's nice to stop here for a little while longer <laughs> um, uh, so I appreciate it. it's an honor to be asked to, to open a meeting uh, open a convention for Al-Anon and uh, I'm so grateful to the program for a lot of things I've been given and um, and and I, I have to always and with gratitude thank my wife for uh, coming with me and taking the day off for her work. She's a teacher and she took a day off of her deal and and meandered up here with me through my little. I go on adventures and we stopped in Burbank to have lunch and I didn't really tell her the whole deal till we got there and had some Mexican food and watched some big band music in the afternoon and then then came up here and we had we had a blast and it was fun it's a, it's a nice life I get to live nowadays and it wasn't always that way um, you know I, I, you know people always like to start out with all the stories and stuff and then build up to the how great it is or or not <laughs> and um <laughs> And I've been there, and a lot of times, you know, the stories are so fun, and it puts a blame on a lot of other people if you if you look at it the wrong way. But what I've always found, um, I used to go to a speaker meeting at Hogue Hospital down in Newport Beach, and uh, there'd be the AAs telling these stories, and it's supposed to end at ten, and it'd be like five at ten, and I'd lean over and go, "This guy is not getting sober tonight." You know? <laughs> Is this is this a two-parter or what? You know, somebody was going to come around to be continued. <laughs> so you know, I'd like to tell you what life is like now, and then I'll tell you the stories. And the stories, I want you. I hope you listen to them. Uh, yeah, some of them can be dramatic, but but listen to it with the ear that I was involved. I co-signed every one of these stories. I was present. I didn't leave some of these stories. They don't make me look good. They make other people look weird, but they don't make me look good. And for the longest time, I was sick of telling my story because of that reason. I just was sick of telling the problem. I didn't have the solution yet. And I'd been coming for a while, you know. We'd, uh, you know, I, I knew all these steps, and I knew a lot of stuff, but it didn't always work out. So what it's like now. Uh, obviously, I'm married because I brought my wife. And uh, that's great. We've been married two years. We've been going out for like maybe five since we met, somewhere between four and five years. And um, it's very peaceful. It's a different way of life. We've had some real heavy discussions that have never got up really high in volume at all. Uh, you might figure out a lot of times I talk quietly. I'm in sales, and I hear everybody. 
that's part of my growing up. I can hear everything everybody's talking about. And I go to sales conventions and I hear guys talking about big deals and I go, well, I might as well just go over to that company and cut that deal before he does, you know. And uh, and, and I've been around a lot of loud, pe- loud people in my life and that's kind of what I call alcoholic people. They're loud noises. And uh, I, I've never been susceptible to that. I, I it never was a shiny thing in my world, so I was able to turn that away. Um, having said that, we always have to give our little disclaimer. We're both in Al-Anon, and I'll break my anonymity that neither of us are an AA. So, uh, uh, you know, it, I like to tell the AA people in the room that they can relax because I don't have a beef with them. You know, the people in my life who told me they loved me were uh, mostly people who drank who could actually let their guard down. It was the Al-Anon-ish people who, who were very guarded and very manipulative and uh, um, were kind of a, a, you know, they caused a lot of, they caused a lot of issues in the world, you know. Yes. <laughs> Everybody grab your phone. <laughs> or we say in our meeting, they say, would you turn off your phone or your pagers? And the guy says, if you have a pager, that'd be weird. <laughs> So anyway, life now. We have, we're married. We live down in Orange County. We have a 15-year-old son that uh, that I uh, inherited when I uh, that was the dowry in our marriage, and uh, he was 10 when I met him, and he was a little kid. Now he's six foot three and weighs 200 something pounds, and he's kind of scary. So, and when I remember that he's only 15, he's a great kid. And when I remember that I have to be a parent and teach him stuff, he's a great kid. And when I expect him to know everything already because I'm busy, he's a but, you know, and, uh, and, you know, life's good with that. And uh, Casey reminds me of that a lot of times. And, uh, but we have a peaceful life and, uh, there aren't many big deals. There, there are big deals that come through our life, but, but we don't treat them that way. And we've stood by each other through some, some silly things. And, and, and we've had silly ex, uh, relationships who do silly things in the neighborhood. And, you know, we let them keep that on their side of the street and not get sucked into it. And uh, I traded jobs after 18 years, just after we got married. You know, just after we got married, I'd had the same job for 18 years. It was like the relationship I was in. I was too scared to change it. Everything was kind of comfy. You know, it was like I knew how it went. I was, I was afraid. I was afraid of a lot of things back then. But anyway, um, yeah, I do well. And I'm back into doing my hobbies. Um, I'm, I've unpacked, as Anthony wants me to tell you a story. Um, you know, when this disease uh, that these other people have, I, I, today I don't, I don't like to say I have a disease. When I was being traumatic, yeah, I had everything, you know, feel sorry for me. And what do you call it? Give me that get out of jail card or something, you know, because I grew up with a crummy parent, you know, you know, take care of me because I, I don't want it. They owe me. And, and, you know, today I don't feel like that. I, I was taught by some people who were more focused on themselves than they were on taking care of, of my brothers and I. And that left us to raise ourselves. I left home when I was, I don't know, I know I was 17, but I, I'm sure my dad divorced when I was 13. My original mom, after I was here for a long time, I realized what that mom had to do with, uh, you know, her uh, prescription drugs and alcohol and things. And, you know, he left, he left our house because of that. Uh, you know, we, we don't talk about it a lot, but the other reason was he had a girlfriend that was uh, that he ended up marrying, and she was no different than my first mom, except that she never got arrested, and uh, she, she lived on the outside, and my other mom lived on the inside of being arrested in uh, uh, state hospitals and things like that. So um, where that left me was uh, kind of running away when I was a young kid uh, to live with my dad because my mom had the methadone people down at the house up there. We lived by Stanford, 
and uh, there was all the hippies were going on and everything, and it was a it was kind of a scene, and it went from having this total fever cleaver house, and my mom was just this cute five foot with heels on blonde haired lady who taught cooking and grew up in a really nice family. My grandparents were really well to do. I was born in Carmel. Life did not suck, you know. My dad would get mad because they'd give him stuff and he'd make them take it back because he was uh, resentful of them taking care of his his business, you know. He wasn't going to be anybody's fool, you know, and that created tension. But, uh, you know, I ran away to that dad's house and ended up living with him for a while and, this, and they got married a couple of years later. And, uh, you know, she had issues with people in her life who drank too. And it was very controlling in that world. I thought I'd run away to the people who were going to take care of me from the people who were crazy. I went to the people who looked normal and they were crazy. I was better off with the people who looked crazy. Who were, I have two brothers and they stayed there. They came down a couple of years apart. And you know what that did to me is it just there was nobody there when I grew up. I ended up going through high school. I went to a boys school for two years, private school. I went to a public high school for the next two years. I played little league baseball all the time I was a kid. I wanted to do that more than anything in the world was to be a, like a pro baseball player or something or race cars. You know, pick one. What day is it? But uh, you know, I ended up doing that. But I never had any support once that divorce went down. It was every man for himself. It was uh, my dad and his uh, uh, new girlfriend wife. And we had a two-year-old uh, step sister that came along with that package and uh and then my two brothers were stuck up at the other end and uh, just kind of getting to run amok with my mom in the house up there and, and whatnot where it left me was uh being terribly insecure from that point on uh i i never asked anybody out in high school i had people just talking around all over wondering why i wouldn't ask certain people out and nobody knew what was going on i didn't want to take anybody home to meet my stepmom she wanted to be everybody's friend and and she's I think she's 11 years older than I am and, you know, a little younger than my dad. And she just wanted to be one of the kids. But she asked inappropriate questions, and she came from a pretty, I think she grew up down here in Sunland or something like that. And, uh, you know, she, she got married when she was 16 the first time. She talked about things I'd never heard of and I didn't understand and accused me of doing things that I'd never seen or heard of, nor had even thought of doing. I was off being a goofball like my 15 year old is now so I have, there's a lot of similarities in us you know we just didn't understand what was going on uh, I left and went away to college not a da 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 you know just kind of did this thing meandered was kind of a I love people I love crowds but I just never would let you know how insecure I was of myself and uh, you know it wasn't until I uh, ended up moving back home and I was in a bar I was probably 25 years old I was in a bar after a softball game for my work and a, a fight was about to break out over a, a, a girl that was sitting with us that was from the wrong country, apparently. And uh, so I got up and, and went over and sat down at the bar. And uh, uh, the seat opened up and I sat down. And I said, excuse me, but there's a fight about to break out over there. I'm just sitting down here for a minute. And, uh, and it turned out to be a sister of my best friend I grew up with in, uh, in uh, the freshman in high school and all this kind of stuff. We still see them today. And she had her friend with her, and I started going out with this girl. And, you know, I'll skip you the boring details, but she got pregnant, we got married. And, you know? <laughs> I never asked her out. I never asked her to get married. I never asked her, I never asked anything. I didn't know any question. How, what, where, what, how, why, anything. No, we were just game on. You know, so now we're living in San Diego, and I got a job. And uh, she doesn't want to be a mother. Uh, I love taking care of my son. He goes everywhere with me. She likes to ride her horse. And 
and that's a little annoying to him, but, uh, you know, she does that. And we have a good life, as far as I can tell, you know, because I got these coping skills, and I got a job. I'm making killer money. We got a house. I'm racing my car. I'm loving life. You know, things are going along. I don't have a companion, really. She causes a little headache. She grew up with a, a couple of parents who uh, lived in separate rooms. We, we never did figure out how she was born. But um, but uh, she was there. I know. I'm pretty sure. And um, so that went along for a while. And it turned out that she, uh, I don't know what, she just started going. She She quit her job one day, right when the economy tanked and the, late 80s or something and she started going to college because she wanted to be a a veterinarian and uh, I just said really you know I mean we never talked there was no conversation she just came home one day and was going to college and uh, and then 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 and I'm like looking at her like you know that just seems odd to me but you know who am I (laughs) you know I I mean what am I who am I to ask I mean you know I don't have any basis I don't have any uh, I'm gonna get a manual I never saw anybody do it normal it was normal to me it was as basically as normal as I could figure it you know I grew up in a family that was sarcastic when my dad remarried uh, it was sarcastic if somebody said something about you you pointed out the worst thing you could think about them hard fast and then just stared at them and hope they didn't have anything to come back at you with you know and it was all done in love of course <laughs> you know, there was a lot of laughter right at everyone else's expense um, I was I'm blessed to have had some super great grandmothers you know I wouldn't be who I am today um, the programs allowed me to become who they thought I was. You know, that person got lost a long time ago in this in this chaos between that first, well, from, from when I was a kid in high school age to, to, you know, probably 15 seconds before I met Casey. You know, God works in funny ways if you, if you, let, if you let things happen. But uh, I, uh, I ended up escaping that marriage. I ended that marriage. Uh, there was just a lot of people coming over, a lot of college people, a lot of study groups. And so most of the study groups had guys in them, and I was starting to get kind of angry. And I was always afraid of my anger at the time because I never let any of it out. I figured if it ever came out, it was going to be like a tornado or something, and I didn't want to be around when it happened. So I'd be out there working on my car or whatever I was doing, and finally I just said, you know, this has got to end. You know, this study group crap's got to end, and, you know, and, and we need to go see a counselor. And she said, well, I don't need to see a counselor. You, uh, you're the problem. And you know what was interesting, though, I, I, I tend to forget this part, but at the same time, my stepmom and my dad were trying to tell me, well, you don't want to be married to her when you inherit a few dollars from your grandmother when she passes because she's going to spend it on this and that and the other thing. And they didn't like her. You know, that was the bottom line. They didn't like her. They didn't need her help, or she didn't need their help. And, uh, you know, we hadn't talked to them for probably eight years. You know, my son was, you know, between when she got pregnant. That was probably about six years. And uh, so they weren't around in our life. They lived 10 miles away, and we never saw them. They didn't come to Little League games or anything like that, maybe one or two. But it was really estranged. That's the way my dad rolls. And, and uh, so uh, I ended that. I'm grateful that I didn't know what was going on because my brain would have hashed that over for a long time. You know, I still don't know. But, uh, you know, through the grace of the program, I was, uh, I, I, my son was getting his Eagle Scout, his old, my oldest son. And I always, always cracks me up that I was involved in Boy Scouts. With him. <laughs> and um, we did that, and it was an awesome experience. But he was getting his uh, uh, 
he's passing his eagle board and we were stuck in a little room that was about as big as from you to me right and I looked over at her and I said I'd been in program for a little while and I looked at her and I said you know I, I, I'm really uh, really want to apologize for the way things went down between us I, I, I know a lot of stuff and I could have done a lot better now I have a lot more tools and it, it didn't need to end that way and she looked at me and she smiled and she goes I'd have divorced me too uh-huh. and I was just all thank you you know I was grateful for that you know and she moved on with her life and I let it go. The problem was that when I left her, I think I don't even know if I made it out of the house before I picked up the phone and called somebody else that my stepmom wanted to set me up with and said, hey, I'm available. <laughs> and that was worse than the first one because uh, I showed up. And, uh, and that, you know, in my first marriage, you know, there was respect and there was a separate life. Uh, it was too separate. That was the problem. It was too separate. And so I wanted just something a little more towards the middle from that. I didn't know what part I wasn't doing yet, but I know what I wasn't getting, which was kind of the story of my life. And um, so I got in this other relationship, and now this person had uh, a brother who was an AA. That's how I even got to Al-Anon. But uh, had a brother who was an AA, and her father died from alcoholism. And uh, there was qualifiers just all around the block, and there was there was there was there was more red flags than a, a Buddhist prayer temple. <laughs> I mean, it was just flapping everywhere. But I couldn't see one. I couldn't see one. All I saw was this, you know, attractive redhead, you know, that everybody else in the meeting wanted to get. And uh, and I said, well, you know, I, I already got introduced. Get away. Um, <laughs> David has a friend who told me later on that he was dating her when I met her. And I said, well, our joke is, he won, I ended up marrying her. <laughs> and you know what? She has a billion great qualities. You know, but this, the environment that alcoholism brings into our lives creates, you know, just some bad thinking and some bad choices and some fears and things that just get... Uh, broken in us that we either choose to change or do not choose to change, you know. And uh, in in that relationship over the span of 17, 18 years, I was, I could always see the potential. She had a great job. I had a great job. Uh, We had a nice house. It took me six years to finally, uh, six years of dating before we got married. I didn't ask her either. And we just were married one day. And uh, it was because somebody else was going to ask her, I think, was the term I remember. And somehow to me, that wasn't another red flag. But I um, I uh, somehow felt like I was going to lose my turn. And, <laughs> and so I, I went ahead with it, you know. And, I, and people looked at me like, whoa. And uh, it was like one more time, you know. And I'd still go to meetings, you know. I started going to meetings. I went to a meeting with her before I was going out with her because her brother was taking like a six-year chip in AA. And the speaker was a guy from up in Hollywood, that Mickey Bush, I'm over here. He's a guy that does those acronyms, and it was really entertaining, you know. And he said, at the end of it, he said, if you laughed at any of this, you're not as normal as you think you are. And I went, "Uh uh-oh, because I laughed at at everything. (laughs) And I knew I didn't have a drinking problem. Mm, My drinking. Uh, I would go up with my car. There's a theme between me as cars and, and my wife and um, my two loves. And uh, when I was uh, in college down there, oh, I was going to Orange Coast, 
and uh, we'd go up, my friend was going to Whittier College, and we'd go up there, he'd invite me to the dances so that we'd meet some girls. Well, I'd have like maybe a beer or two so that I'd have enough courage to ask somebody to dance. Well, then I had to go to the bathroom. So I spent half my life running back and forth to the bathroom where we'd go cruise Whittier Boulevard because that's where all the cool people were going up and down their hot rods and stuff like that instead of dancing. And yeah, nothing ever materialized. You know, it was like, I'll, I'll drop you off over here. And, and uh, so that was the end of that. I never, I never achieved some sort of stardom where it actually made me feel like who I wanted to be. It just actually put me in an uncomfortable position. So, um, you know, that, that I don't have that allergy. I certainly tried, but. It didn't. It doesn't hold. <laughs> um, you know, in that in that second marriage, there was a lot of stuff that went on. There was uh, physical abuse. There was mental abuse. There was emotional abuse. There was monetary abuse. There was just a lot of stuff, and it came out of the fear of, of my ex-wife and uh, and how she'd been brought up and and things like that. And that always seemed sad to me. I really wasn't at a place where I could see where I came from yet, even though I'd been coming to Al-Anon for. You know, I started shortly after that meeting I went to with her, uh, started going to a different program. She'd come over to the house one day, and uh, I hadn't talked to her. We were one of our breakups, many uh, 8,010 uh, breakups, you know, where you, I'm never going to see you again, and you leave, and you hang up, and you don't answer the phone, and then all of a sudden something happens, right? Well, she drove over to my house, and I hadn't talked to her in three days, wasn't answering the phone. It was the only tool I had to, like, cut it off. And she ended up staying there, and we were talking, and she stayed for a while. And then she just ripped her blouse and said she was leaving the house. And I'm going, holy crap, she's going to tell people I they raped her or something, you know. And I, I, cause, I mean, you look at these eyes, if you guys have ever seen crazy eyes, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's, it's, it'll put fear right down your bone, you know, right? Right down there. And, and I did the dumbest thing I'd ever done. Well, no, not really. <laughs> On the list, I called my parents at 2 in the morning and told them what happened. Woke them up. Okay, my stepmom already doesn't like anybody I ever go out with, nor me. And I woke them up and told them, hey, look, if I get arrested, this nothing happened. You know, come get me or something, you know. It was dumb. And it was the first time I'd really included them in my personal life. And it was the big, biggest mistake of that day. Let's <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> And uh, so anyway, you know, of course, uh, you know, uh, something happened, something happened. I, I got in a car wreck. That was the deal. I got in a car wreck, which was totally embarrassing for me because I saw this girl coming. I saw her coming. And my first instinct always is get on the gas. But I stood on the brake. And she broadsided me. And my head hit the right side of the car. My head hit the left side of the car. I was just knocked. And my... Uh, uh, my ex-wife-to-be was a, um, we weren't married yet, <laughs> she, she, was a, she was in the medical world, and so I knew I'd better call her and ask what to do. All right, then we were off to the races. And, uh, and, and then right after that, I, I walked into the doors of a program with a neck brace on and my, uh, my sweatshirt up around my neck so that you couldn't see it. I don't know what you thought. I had a neck that was like, <laughs> but you weren't going to see it. I had to walk into a room in a meeting with no windows, it was in a warehouse church, and it was a little scary for me because I'd never done that. I'd never asked for help. I'd never gone anywhere. I didn't go to church. I didn't go see people in the psychiatric world because they freaked my mom out and gave her pills and killed her. Basically, she's still alive, but, I mean, they you know, ended her life. Uh, the wires in her head have been shorted out for a long time. And uh, so I didn't trust anybody for that stuff. The answers were within me and my dad's German heritage of work harder, you get what you need, you know. 
and you'll find your own answer. Keep plugging away. So I called her, and you know, lo and behold, they took care of me until I got going, until the next thing happened. I think when the sailboat boom hit me in the head, and they thought they killed me again. And uh, so they nursed me back to health. And you know, somewhere along the line, we got married, but we went through that whole thing. And David's uh, David's sponsor was kind enough to give me a place to stay many times when my back was just covered in bruises from a sober person, you know, just just wailing the crap out of me. And and there's one of those things I'm telling you. I can't tell you how many times I sat there and just said, go ahead, get it out of your system. You know, prove this doesn't work. You know, wailing on somebody's not going to do anything. But you look at those eyes and you know there's nobody conscious in there. It's like a blackout you know without alcohol and uh, you know but there I was thinking I was doing something either a noble or we were going to get the right place and and I'm I'm not a uh, uh, you know I like to say about Al-Anon has taught me to be a human being I'm not a robot I'm not a well zombies are popular right now aren't they I'm not an Al-Anon zombie um, you know Al-Anon's taught me that there's there's miserable things that happen there's sad things that happen and I get to feel them all I get to go through the pain and the agony of different experiences. My sponsor's wife has got cancer for the last couple of years, and you know, and she's pretty reconciled that the end is coming up. I had that frank conversation with her the other day when she said, I'm counting on you to take care of him when I'm gone. And I'm all, okay, you got it. I said, the guy's done so much for me. How could we let him? How could we, how could we not? You, that's one thing you don't have to worry about. But, you know, that's sad to me, and I get to be okay with that. I get to cry. Casey will tell you how much I cry. I cry more at people being nice to each other than I do at people uh, winning uh, things or, 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 or sad things. I just, I'm so grateful because, uh, because of all the other things that have gone down. I, I, I could never take my wife for granted, you know, and there's no way. I, I, every now and then, that little Al-Anon robot in me says, uh, this is getting to be normal. And I'll say, no, it's not, because I've been to the other part, and this is not normal. This is exceptional, and uh, and I'm grateful for it, and I have to act accordingly. I have to earn that. You know, I've earned my uh, life in here. I haven't, nobody's given it to me. My sponsor didn't yell at me and tell me what to do. He, he, well, he once told me, he says, if you keep doing that, I can't help you very much. <laughs> That was before I got married the second time. <laughs> it took me a long time to have that sink in. <laughs> so, I'm jumping around, but this, it's kind of fun. The stories come and go. and um, But I was there. <laughs> um, what I want to talk about is putting our life on hold. This, um, this affliction that other people have, and the, 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 the attitudes that the people who've been affected by it have, and I'm one of them, tends to put some people's lives on hold. Mine was put on hold. I used to race cars. I loved that, I sports car racing stuff. I was so into that. I was into my son and his little league stuff. I was into, you know, whatever it was, the things I used to do. I used to do woodworking, uh, lots of things I did. When I got in that second marriage, you could watch everything slow down like they'd given me that anesthesia, you know, if I was getting an operation, until, you know, all of a sudden cars are illegal in our house. You can't talk about them. You can't have magazines laying around. You certainly don't have any room to have one. You know, don't waste your money on that kind of stuff. You're supposed to take care of your family. There's no room for anything. And, and you know, my life got just dried up until it was uncomfortable. 
until it was starting that anger thing was starting to come back again that I had I was taking care of someone else and not myself but I couldn't see that yet what I saw was that I'd given my life up and I was living somebody else's life I was living a life that made them well they never got comfortable but I was trying to make them comfortable I wasn't living anything that satisfied my thing now people on the outside saw it different you know people people thought I was a neat guy they thought a lot of neat things about me I couldn't think those things about myself you know even before I came down here today I'm having that that little moment of like nah, I don't know what I got to talk to these people about uh, you know do I have anything to offer and I said shut up and go yes you and I you know I got to just knock that back and, and, and show up and be here but you know I, I feel strongly about this that um, the steps and uh, my sponsor and my friends have given me the ability to love these people whoever they are whatever side of the convention center they're on I can love them more by not getting involved in their business I can love them more by doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I can love them way more by being everything I'm supposed to be you know whether it's at my work whether it's you know uh, being creative or whatever it is do they get angry oh heck yeah did my second wife raise the bar every time I tried to be myself oh heck yeah I mean, the things would escalate. Um, you know, I was out in the garage the other day cleaning up, and I was working on my truck, and uh, I pulled out a bag out of my toolbox. There was a bag that it got stuffed away in the back, and I opened it up. I don't even think I mentioned this because I just was <laughs> But inside it was a bunch of broken pieces of Wedgwood, the, you know, the little plaques. That, you know, the, my grandmother used to collect those. She had like 70 of them when she passed away, and she gave one of them to each of my brothers and I. And then the rest of them, I think they sold off to take care of some, whatever they did. And, and, and in infinite wisdom, uh, to get my attention because I was not behaving, that was picked up off the wall and thrown right down on the ground in front of me to try and prove some kind of a point. And normal people don't do that. Well, normal people don't stay with that. <laughs> You know, I scooped it all up, put it in a bag. That was probably 10 or 15 years ago. I'm still carrying around. There's 200 pieces. This plate is probably 10 inches. But it reminds me that someday I'm going to replace it. You know, I'm going to figure out what it looked like, and I'm going to find a replacement one. I'm going to put it back up. And that's how I take my life back. The first thing I did was I, I had two flags from uh, different areas of the country that I had raced in. They give you a checker flag when you win a race. And um, I used to give them to my friends just for helping me. I was really grateful. And so I had two from each of these areas. And they got shredded with a razor blade and, you know, just trashed. So I, just for fun, went, this is way back when email was new. I wrote an email to both of the areas in the state where I'd raced. And I wrote an email. I said, due to an unfortunate circumstance of domestic violence, my, <laughs> my checkered flag was destroyed. And I would like to know how much it would cost to buy a new one and have sent to me. And the lady sent me back the funniest. She goes, oh, my God, the funniest email I ever got. I'm sorry that happened to you. It's in the mail. Do not send me any money. <laughs> but I remember how good I felt when it came in. I mean, it was, it was a flag. It was a flag of something I'd achieved. It was a flag of the life I had before I got sucked off into feeling like, uh, you know, Whatever degree black belt ninja my sponsor always says, oh, he says, what level of saint are you trying to achieve? You know, like 15th degree Jackie Chan or something, you know. Because, because I can take the Al-Anon tools 
and I can read them in a way that I still have. I, I've got another idea. You know, I can endure anything for 24 hours that most people wouldn't endure for five minutes. And I can do that 24 hours for a week, for a month, for a year, for 16 years and think I'm doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, Steve had evaporated and there was no more. So what was I doing? You know, what, how was I using that tool properly? You know, not really. What was I worried about? I was worried about what you would think of me. What would you think of me for getting divorced the second time? What would you think of me for not being able to make things work with somebody that everybody thinks is perfect? You know, what are you going to think of me? And pretty soon it got to be, I don't care what you think of me. You know, let other people think of me is none of my business, right? Oh, so we have a, uh, I'm part of a, a group, a men's group, I know, uh, down in Laguna, and that's kind of my most regular meeting I go to Tuesday night uh, down there. And I'm, so lucky and blessed to be a part of that group. I've grown up in that group. And uh, I started there when, uh, when I first started in Al-Anon. And there's a whole bunch of double winner guys in there who go to Al-Anon. And they're not alcoholics when they're in that meeting. In fact, some of them I never figure out they're alcoholics because the old timers are pretty tough about saying, you know, don't break your anonymity. They try and remind them, but you know, doggone it, they want to transfer those credits. <laughs> I know all about the steps. <laughs> no, you don't. You know, the guys will go over there. And so I have to trust the other AA guys to go over and tell them, look, you're not doing yourself any good. Please just be a newcomer. Please just do the steps as an Al-Anon person. You know, they apply to you, not to, you know, other things. It's, it's, a, it's a personal program. And, uh, you know, I've got to grow up in there. I've got to meet some really unique people that go way back in that other program. But I, what it is is I get to see people who want to do life differently. And they have a different twist on it that I think is interesting. They've hurt people by their actions in the past, and they were trying to put a life back together and trying to be good husbands, you know, or brothers or uh, whatever their situation is. You know, they're trying to be a good person in their family or a good father. And uh, so they're in there practicing Al-Anon in a different way. They, they like to call it graduate school, and they, they call it the, 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 the goddamn blue book for progress, you know, when they have to do that thing. It's fun to watch these guys. That, that would, you know, I like have to know the answer before I start the thing. And they, you know, just walk out in the middle of the ocean and then realize they don't know how to swim. You know? It's kind of the difference between us. And and what I'm grateful for, you know, other than knowing those guys, and you know what, I get to go on road trips every now and then. One of them will ask me if they're speaking at a, uh, an AA thing. You know, I'll go up there. I'll go. They'll ask me to go with them. They call me their Al-Anon protection. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm, I I I would always wanted to, you know, I don't know why. I'd always wanted to go to them that big deal meeting up in where is it? Oh, Brentwood. 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 I'd always wanted to go. I heard there's like a zillion people. I'm going, what, what do you do with a zillion alcoholics? <laughs> I found out. You give them all a job. <laughs> and, and so here I am sitting in the front row of this whole place. And they, and they get to the part where they go, is there any other alcoholics in the room? And everybody raised their hand. This guy next to me is in charge of people keeping their arms and feet off the armrest of the chairs or something. And he gives me the elbow. And he says, put your arm up. And I go, no. 
And he goes, what are you doing here? I said, I'm with them. Whatever. <laughs> but I, I get to travel with them. I've been to Texas with them to a, a, an a AA and Al-Anon men's retreat in somewhere in the middle of Zippo, Texas. And uh, God, it's so far from anywhere. Brownwood Lake, Texas. Yeah. What a great experience. We had a blast. I've been twice. And the last time we took a motor home with, uh, I took a motor home with four, four of my uh, Al-Anon friends who were in the other group and, uh, and myself. And when we got there, the other seven guys we met wanted to know how we didn't kill each other. And we looked at them like, what are you crazy? We had a blast. We had an absolute blast. I had as much fun as I do going on a road trip with my wife, except there was nobody kissing anybody. <laughs> And you know what's funny is I had to, I had to point out to those guys. I said, well, why did these guys expect the worst? You know, why did these guys expect that we were all going to be fighting when we got there? And they go, I don't know. That's weird about them, isn't it? You know, and it took them a couple of those other guys about a couple of weeks to kind of get over the fact that we had a good time. And then we worked things out. And we talked about where we go. Everybody got to pick a stop. We were in Roswell, New Mexico. Because <laughs> Jimmy would never been to Roswell, New Mexico. And my other friend there had played a concert there uh, when he was like, like 10. No, he graduated from high school. He was a drummer. He graduated high school. Some band called him. I won't name it. And he said he wanted to be the drummer, and that was his first concert in Roswell, New Mexico. So here we are in a 40-foot motorhome driving in circles trying to find the high school they played in. <laughs> Finally, somebody said, you know, we have to get to the next city. So I said, everybody out of the bus. We pulled in front of this brick uh, elementary school, and I said, this is it. Okay, this is it. This is where it happened. They go, how do you know? I go, I don't care. <laughs> We're all getting too old, and this is where it happened, and nobody ever has to go look again, you know? And that's the world trip. We went to the Grand Canyon because I'd never been there. We were at the Grand Canyon for an hour. We got there too late. There were no more campsites. We were going to have to drive 40 miles back 40 miles back in the morning. Jimmy says, are you okay with looking at the Grand Canyon? I said, what are you going to see? So we looked over the edge as the sun went down. We walked back, and there was like some wild animals with horns coming towards us and freaked us out. And we went back in the motor home. We drove off to the state of the Fred Flintstone campground, and we had a blast. <laughs> but you know, what, what I love about these guys, and I forget about it, because every now and then somebody takes me in and we go do something. With the, uh, a, a lot of times I meet uh, people in the program, the other program, who don't, they don't interface as much, and I'm really spoiled by these guys. They, they converse, they ask how you're doing. There's, it's a two-way conversation, you know. So every now and then, if I'm going someplace, oh, you're going to see so and so. He's in the other group, and just say hi to him. You go, I'll say, hey, so and so, told me to say hi, and he was like, oh, great. You know, and then there's like, and I'll go, oh, yeah, right, I forgot already. You know? <laughs> Good to see you. I'll tell, you. I'll tell them I saw you. Excellent. Nice to see you. And I, and I, and I move on. But, um, you know, the fun part is they've given me a life back where I get to take up a little space. Right? I was joking with you. If you don't mind me pointing we were outside. We were, she was moving the sign out front and being very quiet and very polite. And I said, isn't it interesting how we always model that behavior? But it's never reciprocated, <laughs> you know, and I, I but I do it because that's who I am. That's what I've learned to do in here is be myself and be who I want to be. And 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 my grandmother brought me up. I always open the door for Casey. You know, I'm grateful. People look at me like we're crazy. Some of my friends get uncomfortable because their wives are stuck in the car or, or whatever. And I just, you know, I couldn't be more grateful. You know, and, and they, and they, they, you know, pretty soon we, we were up on vacation this summer, and finally my cousin, who's 70 something, he, uh, he, um, 
he finally started getting Casey's door and let me get his wife's door. You know, we started trading off just to be just to be nice because I started making these people uncomfortable. They're telling you know what I don't care because I get to see her smile, and and you know that's the person my grandmother brought me up to be. Both my grandmothers, um, you know, and 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 I like being that person. I didn't like being the quiet person uh, who looked like you wanted me to look like. You know, have my hair cut like you wanted me to look like. Don't read anything into that. But because I, I went to the barber, <laughs> you know, I wore the clothes. I bought the clothes, whether it was my stepmom or whoever it was, you know. But these guys have taught me how to take up a little space and uh, and uh, be loud but not be too loud. Have fun but not too much. And not at anybody's expense, you know, and to be kind and to... And to uh, it's like David likes to talk about, or we joke about, now Al-Anon has given me a piece. Having a higher power in this program that, you know, I came here for a long time before it sunk in and I was willing to turn it all over to my higher power. It, it, was, it was after I got this very bizarre letter from a girl I dated who thought I was a stalker. And I said, no, it's just effects of the last marriage. I'm just so helpful. You think I'm nuts, you know. <laughs> but I read it and I laughed. I just said, oh, you know what? Yeah, I bet I do come across crazy because I've been trained, you know, and I need to drop all that and enough of that, you know, and and I and I, I just get to be that, that way and turn it all over to my higher power. And I watched the movie, you know, when you guys were, we were up here. I don't think you knew you were leading the meeting or being the whatever. He goes, oh, I'm leading the meeting. I said, just watch the movie. We're just chill out. And now whenever there's like chaos going on. Or, or people are having a thing. I just sit down and I just I'll watch it. You know, they haven't called my name yet to participate. You know, and and so when it's time, I'll get involved. You know, because I want to be a hero first off. I have superhuman powers. I have. I, can, I know what you're thinking. I can see the future. I, uh, I, I, I. You know, there's just there's all sorts of powers I have that work in your life, not mine. But but. You know, they helped help me figure out what I was going to do, and I've, I've been able to leave those behind here um, through trusting that my higher power is going to do what's exactly right for me, put me exactly where I need to be. My question when I get in an uncomfortable place is, what am I supposed to learn from this? You know, what's my next indicated step? I hope my sponsor's home. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I go, I go on that fact versus versus the other, and uh, we call it watching the movie. You know, I just I do it. And that's how I learned to trust my higher power was giving him things that I thought I should be involved with and said, you know what, I'm just going to sit here. It was like this, actually. You take care of it. Go ahead. I'll pick it up when it fails. <laughs> that's my, you know, what, 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 when we had a spiritual awakening, that was my spiritual awakening. Nothing crashed. <laughs> Those people did just fine. They didn't need my help. What like what crashed was my life, um, and uh, you know back to the thing I mentioned about Anthony asked me from when I was he saw me a, a while ago through that whole thing of my life getting put away through my life becoming so small that it was just non-existent my heartbeat just dwindling down there I had boxes that were still boxed up from my first marriage okay so now fast forward I've moved those boxes through many storage units and a few houses. And right after I got out of that first marriage, I started building a, a beautiful um, uh, white maple, clear maple aquarium stand. And I had a 55-gallon aquarium built 
um, you know, I had it made to my specs in Anaheim by some aquarium company, you know, and I paid all this money for this thing, and uh, it was, oh my, this thing was, it would still amaze you today. And uh, that was uh, 25 years ago, right? At least. And um, it never had a drop of water in it. It still had bubble wrap on it when I was, when I went in December, it still had bubble wrap on it, you know? And uh, I moved that thing between houses and offices. One day I almost set this thing up, you know, and we go in the house and, well, you can't put it there because the sun would be on it. We can't put it here because the light would distract you while you're watching the TV. This is when I finally had my own house and didn't have to run away from myself or anybody else. I didn't have a place to put it, you know. I just kind of grown out of it. So Casey mentioned to me, well, you might want to sell it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> we go so far back. <laughs> I knew it before I knew you, you know. <laughs> I felt like I was a failure. I had to accomplish something, right? So anyway, uh, I had it for sale on Craigslist for a while. And after, after you saw me, here's the addendum. This guy called me, and he was just a pistol of a negotiator i mean i think i paid it was it's about 600 bucks to replace it you know and that eats at me because i paid 350 for it 20 something years ago and uh so i'm not gonna let him have it you know and uh so i put it up for like 300 dollars. nobody's calling this guy finally calls me up and offers me 200 bucks i go i go look come over here look at it there's a b of a down the street if you need more money you can go get it you know and he came down he wouldn't move off of 200 dollars. and i'm going no you can't have my aquarium damn it <laughs> So he left, right? He called me back like a week later, and he says, well, you ready to go for $200? I go, I'll take two and a quarter. He goes, nope. So we're having our first Christmas party at the house, and uh, and uh, here's this big old aquarium in the living room. Bubble wrap all around it, stuff stacked up on top of it. Awesome aquarium. <laughs> ready for saltwater fish. You know the orange one with the white stripes. I'd just get a picture. I'd be happier. So finally, the guy calls and he says, uh, "He says, uh, I said, all right, two hundred dollars, but you gotta come get it today." He says, "I'm on vacation. I can't get it till after New Year's." I go, "Negotiations start over. My wife's having a party in a few hours." So he comes over to get it, and I offered him my maple base that I hand built and everything. And I said, "Look, fifty bucks. Take it." He goes, "Nope." I said, "All right, you're lost. That'll go back in the garage." He called me later on. He says, your, your aquarium, the measurements you gave me, it wasn't uh, 55 inches or whatever it was. It was 55 and a half. I go, well, I offered you the base. You know, I mean, what's a half inch or something like that? He says, well, I need the base. Anyway, it was a funny story. I ended, up, I ended up working on it, and he paid me some extra money, but we had fun. But it finally left. 25 years. I finally unboxed most every box that I've taken through all the, all the stories with me. I've unboxed them. And, and we're down. We still don't have room in the house. And I have, I, I have 8,000 T-shirts. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I have, like, drawers of T-shirts from everything I've ever been to. Uh, none of them would fit my right arm right now. But, <laughs> but I have, like, 8,000 T-shirts. I have some kids' stuff left because I can't throw that away. You know, they don't want it, but I have it. We found the teddy bears the other day, and Casey told me they're full of germs. But So I, I took a picture of it, and I sent it to my son. I said, do you remember these guys? He goes, oh, yeah. I go, you want them? He goes, oh, no. <laughs> so they went in the garbage, you know. And uh, I got a trike that I wanted to give him, but he didn't want that either. Anyway, you know what? I get to do fun stuff like that nowadays. You know, before it was really serious, and um, I didn't start that way. 
you know, I didn't, I wasn't born serious. I, my grandmothers were a load of fun, and my grandfather was a load of fun. My my mom's dad, he was a load of fun. He passed away. Uh, I, I, I always remember I went to my eighth grade uh, advancement the same day I went to his funeral, and there were 300 people at his funeral, and uh, they quoted his thing. He always said, "Let not your heart be troubled." And you know, those little things that uh, we say to people, the encouraging things, you know, you, you think they're not enough, but you know, it's not much to pass on to somebody and do something nice. And I carried those things through the darkest times of, uh, of, of these other, uh, other people's lives. I mean, I was, my life was there too, but um, you know, I, I carried those things. And uh, you know, and now I get to honor them you know, with my life. Uh, and my sponsor, for that matter, you know, he's not a, a he's not a guru or anything. You know, they, my, they, that was what they wanted to call me for some reason because I was being Zen. And um, but you know, I get to honor those people by being good. I, I have a a guy I sponsored who just moved back east, and uh, I'm so proud of him. Uh, he, he 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 got in a good relationship in the last year. And they're they're communicating super well. He and I were doing the, uh, his fifth step for uh, five years. It was five years from the day he started writing his fourth step. And you know what? I never rushed him. I never told him he had to be done by some day. Because what was happening with him is he was he'd get all his all wrapped around the axle, you know, because life would be in session while he was trying to write it. And when he was writing it, it was it was. And, and, and going over it, it was causing all these fears. So he was starting to trip over his own life. And I'd done that before in counseling with that, that second wife. They, they'd keep bringing up things that were wrong about me. And I said, you guys, I'm two weeks behind. You know, we're going twice a week and I'm two weeks behind. I don't, I, I, I'm going to stop coming until I get caught up. But anyway, he got through this thing and it was so fun because he'd read his answers and he, at the end, on the last day, he'd look at me and he, and he read an answer and he goes, that was the old me that wrote that that's not the me I am today and I said awesome you know and he got in his car and they, and they left the next morning and started driving back east and uh, you know they've been they've been having a great time touring and that that's what makes me proud if one person one person just identifies with something and could take back a little bit of their life and um, you know I know it's hard with kids and I've um, you know we worry about our kids uh, we, we, we have people in our, uh, my, my group that have kids, and it's not easy. Um, but I've also seen my mom uh, you know, be damaged by the amount of love my grandmother had for her. And uh, you, know, you, you, you hear the expression, and they say, our love kills people. But you know, I've also heard of people in Aladons getting killed from poking their nose in other people's business. You, know, you, you don't know what you're going to run into sometimes. And uh, it's just easier to uh, take care of our own business and uh, a new guy in our Tuesday night meeting was sharing about how loud the arguments used to be in his house. And he said, you know, I realized the most powerful person in the world is the person you can just say, no, that doesn't work for me. In that calm, quiet voice without feeling like anything dangerous is going on, like they're going to lose something or somebody's going to retaliate and they can just remain calm. And, um, you know, that spoke volumes to me about how this thing goes. Oh, wow. Jeez, we got another story. All right, you tell me when you want me to stop because I got I have a million of them. Um, I, um, I I participate every year at a um, 
on a men's workshop. We we do it now. Up in, we were in Pacific Palisades for a while, and now we're up in, in Malibu. And uh, it's this beautiful retreat center that we go to, and we talk about the steps. And it's really a workshop. It's, it's uh, you know, uh, guys helping guys. There's no gurus. There's no experts. Nobody has a special seat. You know, there's no padded seats, no hard seats, no nothing. It's just people and the guys lead the breakout groups. And we do a we do a thing where we um, we do a fourth step workshop, and we get somebody to volunteer a um, a resentment. And one year, and what we do with that is then we work through the columns of it just to expedite the procedure of showing, you know, what happened, how did it affect you, you know, what was your part in it, you know, and then the part they like to forget what would you do differently you know and uh, we had a guy uh, who his son had passed away and he finally came out he was resenting God you know his God and uh, you know we went through the whole thing for a while a long time back and forth people would ask questions and it's done in a real respectful way where the guys in the group there's like 40 of us now and they'll ask who raise their hand and ask a question to provoke a thought in the person who's having the resentment and uh, it's it's not like crosstalk. It's just, is this an issue? Have you thought of that? And the, and so they'll do that. And they brought it up. And at the end, and this guy was sleeping four hours a night for like six years or something like that, right? And because um, he, he just couldn't fall asleep or stay asleep. And he finally got down to the point where we we just do this one exercise with a bunch of guys being really nice to each other and talking about something that had bothered him, having that platform, you know, having that having that uh, availability to discuss something he finally realized that he had uh, uh, he was worried that if he um, if he stopped resenting God that he would be letting his son down because there was no re- you know he was mad at God for taking him and uh, and he realized that uh, you know he loved his son more than that resentment and that, that you know that, that we don't know everything and we don't know why things happen and and um, you know we can't give up our life because things happen and he, he came to peace with it and you know he went up to his room this was like three o'clock in the afternoon no it wasn't it was before lunch it was like noon and he and he went up to his room and we never saw him till the next morning he fell asleep and he slept through the afternoon and the evening and then he slept on Alana. it was cured <laughs> We always ask, have you seen that guy? No, what happened to him? <laughs> what happened to him? He says, I haven't seen him ever again. You know, so so are the people we talked the other day on Tuesday night, they said, Oh my god, if everybody who ever came to Tuesday night in the twenty five years or I think our meeting's twenty five years now, mm-hmm. we could fill up a phone book. But you can count you can you could fill up a phone list for the people who come and stay. You know? And and I'm so grateful for those guys, uh, what they've given me. And and when we have people who say they get something, maybe get some hope from me that there is a possibility of of having your own life back, regardless of what's going on, you know. And you can do it with dignity, and you can do it with love, and you can do it with uh, serenity. Um, and as we like to point out, the opposite of of drama is not boredom; it's serenity. You know, it doesn't have to be that extreme. I, I grew up in that, like I brought up about the hippie thing. We grew up with hippies, and then we went to yuppies. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle is okay. <laughs> and so, you know, that's where our life can be, too. We don't have to go there. And we, we lead a, a, a serene life. And like I told you, it's like a, a buoy out there in the ocean. People like to make some waves and we wobble. But, we, but you know, we've got something that holds us. We have roots. Um, you know, we have roots. 
and the you know one of the big roots is in, in program and I get to have a connection to my higher power I get to have a relationship with myself and I get to then I get to be and then I have something to give uh, my family and um, you know I asked Casey to get married you know that's a different way of doing life. I asked that. I scared the heck out of her, but I asked her. She had, you have, she had like, we were driving up the coast. She had like six dresses because she was hoping, you know, there was time. I was, you know, it was just perfect. And I caught her in jeans and a shirt on the beach. So she has this picture of her after I just asked her. And so I don't know, that's kind of funny to me, but it's, that's the way we can laugh at stuff about it. But, um, you know, uh, you know, that's the kind of life we get to do. We don't, we don't have to, we don't have to live in fear. And we get to take it back, and we don't have to blame other people. And you know, all these stories that happened to me, I don't want to change one of them because I wouldn't be here. I, I am, you know, I'm the wealthiest person in my family right now. Not money. I don't have any. You know, we got a couple bucks, but not, not enough. And uh, but I have enough. I have enough serenity. I have enough love, and I have enough. I, I'm so wealthy, spiritually and and uh, emotionally, that I just run laps around anybody who has you know, a building or a car or something in my family. And for that, I'm grateful that I'm super grateful for you guys. And I, I hope, I hope that you guys can, uh, can be peaceful enough and calm enough and not be, um, not be so hard on yourself and just work this problem program and be willing to, um, willing to make those tough choices and know it's going to be okay. Uh, it's, it's uncomfortable being comfortable. Uh, it's uncomfortable doing it differently. It's very uncomfortable doing things differently. We're very comfortable with the old behaviors. And in here, you get all these tools, and it's all a theory until you're willing to use it. Mm-hmm. it just is, it's just a theory. I could come up here, and I could talk to you guys. Ten years ago, I could have come and given this speech. I'd have been in that other marriage, but I would have told you all these tools. And you know what? Until you use them, until you pick them up, they're just, they're just tools. You know, my, my tools are dirty now. You know, I've I got my fingerprints on them. My life is my own. I own it. I share it with all of you. I share it with my friends, and I'm grateful to do that. And I, I just hope you find some hope in that. So with that, I'll shut the heck up.